becomes that very image, the express image of God, because he is God. And everything that we need to know and everything that we need to learn about being a good father is here in the word. And I know that uh, usually Mother's Day gets uh, all the attention and moms get all the attention and all the love and all, all of, you know, just the embrace and all. And moms, we love to do that to you. And dads sometimes get the short end of the stick, as they say. <laughs> I heard a couple of kind of amens out there. But I tell you that more than anything, I want to encourage you as fathers. Because oftentimes it is a thankless job. And because we live in a day and a time that uh, family structures and, and, and family uh, responsibilities have been muddled, you all stand as a good a good example of what fathers are to be. You don't need to be beaten here today. You need to be encouraged. And I want to ask you all to stand. Fathers, you who are dads, and even if you're going to be dad because you're already a father in that sense, we want to, first of all, give thanks to God for you. And your standing says something, too. It says that no matter what you've gone through in life, no matter what you have done in this life, good or bad, God knows it all, and he has extended his love and forgiveness to you. Whether you feel like you haven't accomplished what you wanted to accomplish as a father, that's all right, because today's a new day, and his mercies are new every morning. And his faithfulness is great. His compassions never fail for you. And we live in a time that dads need to be out front in this world. So may the Lord fill you with his Holy Spirit today. And encourage your hearts that we love you. And we thank the Lord for you. And so, <clears throat> let's pray. Father... It is our joy this morning to pray for these men. It takes a man to be a true and good father. And so I thank you, Lord, for them standing here today, realizing, Lord God, that they have indeed had their ups and then their downs. They've had their struggles and their victories. They've had their trials, and their triumphs. But through it all, Lord God, they're here today knowing that you are a God of mercy and that you have given them completely, Lord, your word to learn and to grow and to, and to be encouraged and to be strengthened, to fulfill, Lord, continually, whether their kids are grown and gone and, and had their own kids. They're still fathers. And they're still examples. And they're still to be honored, as your word says, that we're to honor our fathers and our mothers. 
So today, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon these men. We pray, Father, that they will indeed heed your voice, that they will listen to you, that they will call upon you, that they will live for you, that they will do all, Lord, to your glory, honor, and praise. And then when it comes right down to it, Lord, on that day when our Lord Jesus comes and gathers us together, that we can hear it all said, enter in my good and faithful servants. And we pray, Father, that that will certainly be their encouragement today. Your presence, your love, your grace, your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's thank the Lord for these men. This morning, I'd like to have you turn to Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. I've chosen as a title for this message, In My Father's House. In My Father's House. And we'll see how it all ties in together, but let's read verses 1 through 6. The Psalm of David, The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon, he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. We've heard a lot of talk in recent years about safe places. In light of current social and cultural talk, defining safe places usually takes on a very politically correct posture. College campuses in most states require safe places for students uh, to, and I quote from an article actually entitled, What is a Safe and Unsafe Place, which is on academia.edu if you're interested. But as I said, in most states, uh, they require safe places for students, too, and I, and I quote, to feel safe and secured. Where the student feels, by the way, that's the second time they use the word feel in this article. Where the student feels important. Creating an environment where the student feels he, she is a 
vital part of the com uh, classroom community, and more importantly, an environment where the student can freely and fully participate within the classroom, end quote. A lot of feeling there. A lot about how students feel. And while I understand the necessity for the safety of all students on any and every campus at all levels of education, having been a public school educator for a number of years, reading this article filled with references to individuality, ideals, religious, physical, emotional, and psychological abuses, uh, racial biases, and feeling safe from the offenses thereof, all without, it seems, the necessity for personal responsibility from said students, makes me believe our world is much more upside down than it's ever been. I have to tell you, that was a mouthful. But when, na uh, but but when rational debate is stifled due to hurt feelings, We've seen how it leads to the kinds of violence that we've seen in recent days in the news, recent days, weeks, months, and years, especially on college campuses today. Now listen carefully. Ideally, depending on when and where you may have grown up and with whom, it was always expected that the safest place to be was in the protective arms of a loving father. A father who worked hard to provide for his family, to protect his family and prepare his children for their futures. But as I said, ideally, there were those of us who lived in less than ideal situations especially those who had no father around for whatever reason. Mom either filled both roles or someone like an older brother or an uncle assumed the role of a father figure. Whatever the case, a father's responsibility was either experienced for better or worse safely or it was sadly desired. I will tell you that the safest place to be on this planet is in the loving and awesome arms and hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I can say that with all confidence, that the safest place to be on this earth is in the arms of Jesus Christ. I was reminded of that when I read in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, these words that say, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Do you, do you see the full representation of the, of the character of our God and, and, and of our Messiah, Jesus Christ, the arm of God, who not only is the arm of God in, in strength, but he is the arm of God in gentleness, 
with his sheep. He protects and he teaches and he strengthens. Now, the main text that I've chosen, Psalm 27, could could not be a greater passage to show how safe we truly are from the evils of the world and the flesh and the devil. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Listen, what do we have to fear if the Lord is indeed our light and our salvation? What do we have to fear in this world? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Why? Because the Lord was David's light and salvation. The Lord was David's strength in his life. So he could say, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Now where else would we rather be than in the arms of the Lord who has called himself our Father and to whom the Lord Jesus would teach us to call out to him in the very same manner as he did, even as the Son of God. How did he call out to God, his father? By calling him father. And what is it that that Jesus taught us about when doing that and and, and the need for doing that? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, excuse me, within the, uh, the text of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 5. Jesus said to his disciples, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. Now, this isn't the first mention of Father here that Jesus makes. It's actually back in chapter 5, when he talks about the fact that we are the light of the world, that we are to glorify our Father in heaven. First time he mentions Father to us as our Father. But here he says, Pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. I I thought about that little phrase there in verse 8 before we go on. Let me just say, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. There was a time in our lives that we were so young that we didn't know what to ask for. We didn't ask for anything because we already had everything that we needed because our fathers knew what to give us before we asked. Then we grew up. Then we started asking for things we wanted and not for the things that we needed. But the Father knows what we need before we ask. So he says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, 
our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But as our text continues on in Psalm 27, we're also reminded of a place. Not only the arms of our Father and the arms of our Good Shepherd, but a place that every believer can and should desire. Go back to Psalm 27 verse 4 and listen to what David says. He says, one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. Now, when he says that I seek after, literally in the Hebrew, he means to beg for, to beseech passionately in prayer and in worship. This is how he seeks after it. By begging, by beseeching passionately with all of his heart in prayer and in worship. And this is what he seeks, that I may dwell now listen carefully, and this is for all of us here today, that I may dwell, which means that I may abide, that I may continue in, that I may be at ease in, that I may endure and remain there. That's what it means to dwell. We sometimes, in this modern time in which we live, we sometimes come to God rather sporadically during times of great trouble and we pray and we come and say, oh God, help us. Oh God, help me. Oh God, fill this need. And, and then we, we see God do something and then we say, thank you, Lord. I'll see you later. I'll see you on the next go around when I run into some other problem. I think I can handle it from here. But that wasn't David. And that wasn't the prophets and that wasn't the, the apostles' attitudes. He says that I may dwell and abide in and continue in and to be at ease in and to endure in and to remain in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Think about what he's saying. All the days of my life, the days that I have remaining on this earth, and the days in which I will be with you forever into eternity. That is the attitude of our hearts as believers in Jesus Christ, or at least that's what it should be. That we desire to dwell with him all the days of our lives. And to do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord. We live in a time that uh, so many of the technological advances that we have uh, either had to live with or are thankful to live with in some cases uh, may bring us to a point where we look at things more importantly as beautiful things in this earth 
than to look at the beauty of the one who created all things. And that just means that we need to seek the beauty of the Lord, to behold the beauty of our God. Because when it comes right down to it, what we have, we only have because he's given it. We have breath and life because he's given it to us. We have the means by which we take care of and provide for our families because he's given it to us. I believe the Lord wants us to look to him. And then to inquire, which means to inspect and to seek out and to search in his temple. Now, when we were growing up, there were times when we would go through our, our house or our parents' house, because really it wasn't our house. We weren't making the payments. They were. And we'd go through the house, and there were places that we could go in very freely and, and do one thing or another. But then there were certain places where our parents would say, no, you don't go in there. You had to be mature. You had to be adult about certain places in the house. So there were things that you didn't, you weren't allowed to go in to see. Yet in our father's house, we could go in and we could inspect and search out everything. Why? Because he has given it to us as an inheritance. And we could inquire and inspect and seek out and search wherever we wanted to go. Because the Lord has nothing to hide from us if we belong to him. Isn't that a wonderful thought? To know about our father's house that way. And then he says, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. Do you remember also when you were growing up that there were certain places in the house that you, you thought were your own and you would kind of hide in there? there? There was a place where you could hide, you know. And even if it wasn't a real good hiding, you still thought that you were hiding from everybody else. You wanted your secret little place. The Lord says, well, in my place there aren't secret places except for where I make secret places just for you when you're going through times of trial and trouble. And I'll hide you there. And I'll protect you there. He says, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me up upon a rock. And we need to understand that the very word rock here in the Hebrew is also a word that reminds us that the rock that God speaks of is the rock of Christ. And he sets, up, sets us up upon the rock of our Messiah. And now shall my enemy's head be lifted up... Uh, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Whereas before our enemies condescended upon us, now we are above our enemies because we are on the rock. And therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Keep that in mind as we continue on. 
But David, the psalmist king, did no less than seek with all of his heart this very safe place to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And we have the opportunity to desire with the very same heart the very same thing that he sought after. That safe place in the midst of an evil world. That safe place in perilous times. That safe place as the world as we know it unravels itself in demonic activity and pursuits. We have a safe place. Now let me me add here. That as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in verse 12 of Ephesus chapter 6, we know this to be the chapter of the armor of God. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The insanity that we see happening all around us in this world is certainly demonically led as the scriptures make clear. All the more reason that we as believers in Jesus Christ should put on the armor of God. Remember that there are responsibilities that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. There are certain things that the Lord has given to us. The very fact is when you put on the armor of God, you're putting Jesus Christ on. Every part and every piece reflects some character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 10, for example, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When we read in Psalm 27, he says, Whom shall I be afraid of? Whom shall we fear? Who should we fear if the Lord is is, is, is our light and our salvation? If he's the strength of our life. But today we have people running into safe places because they don't want to be offended and they don't want to be heard about one thing said or one thing acted upon. Or, you know. But yet, you know, we can hide in the Lord, but we are made to be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord. And notice he doesn't say be strong in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he talks about what I just read in verse 12. And so in verse 13 he says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he says to us who are hiding in his pavilion, who are hiding in in, in, in his house, nonetheless we're not hiding at the same time. Interesting, isn't it? We are standing. And then he says, stand and withstand. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the offensive weapon of the believer. Everything else is defensive. This is offensive, the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now I want you to notice something in what we just read. Notice that this isn't about feelings. At this point, you would probably think I'm going to start singing that song from the 70s. 
Feelings, nothing more than feeling. I decided I don't want to sing it anymore. I've done that too often. We used to have to sing that song, you know, the feeling. Well, about five times a night sometimes, you know, requested. Just like Color My World. You remember, remember Color My World? I used to love that song until they made me sing it four times a night. Ugh. I don't know why I got into that. I don't know. Hey, folks, it isn't about feelings, is it? It's about faith. It's about trust and dependency upon the Lord, fueled by the power and the powerful truth of God's word. That's what it's about. Dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives and well into eternity should be the believer's desire every day. And even if we're there to desire more of that place, In my father's house. When you read the Old Testament, you realize that there was a place. There was a tabernacle in Shiloh. There were tabernacles in the wilderness, or a tabernacle that was set up in the wilderness when God wanted to meet with his people. They brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem and eventually built a temple. There was a place that was called the house of the Lord. It was the Father's house. But it only represented the Father's house that will be with us always, not built by human hands. But with that in mind, this is what we can find in our Father's house as reflected by the things that the Old Testament believers had for themselves. In our Father's house, it is a house that we can go to pour our hearts out to Him. We can pour our hearts out to Him in our Father's house. An example would be Baron Hannah. A woman that was not able to bear children. We're told a little bit about her in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She was actually the wife of Elkanah, but Elkanah had another wife who was actually very fruitful. Penina was her name, and she would actually, I mean, she would pick on Hannah using the very fact that she couldn't bear children. We're told in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 1, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, and that would have been at, at the tabernacle in, Sh in Shiloh, and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, Penina, also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, in other words, when Elkanah would go to offer, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Penina would provoke Hannah. 
And therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah would go to the house of the Lord and just weep. In the house of the Lord, we can come and pour our hearts out to him. Every burden that is on our heart, every pain, every hurt, every trial, everything that we cannot understand, we can bring to God in his house. We can bring to our Father in his house. In verses 10 and 11, it says, And she was in bitterness of soul. Look how deep the pain was in Hannah. And she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Sound familiar? All the days of his life I will give this son. And there shall be no razor, or there shall no razor come upon his head. She poured her heart out in prayer for a son. But the Father's house is not only a house to pour out our hearts to the Lord, it is also a house to praise him for specific favors received, which Hannah becomes then an example of as well, because in verse 24 of 1 Samuel uh, one, it says when she had weaned him, that, that's letting us know that there was a son that came because God gave her a son. She took him up with her with three bullocks and an ephah of flour and a bottle of wine. Where was she going to do? Go and party up there? She was going to make an offering unto God, an offering of thanksgiving. Brought him unto the house of the Lord, brought the child who was Samuel. Into the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. That should be a good example for us to bring our children unto the house of the Lord, to show them that we give sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving unto God. Our Father's house is also a house to proceed peacefully from after petitions are made, and David becomes then a, an, an example for us in that. We might remember that. David and Bathsheba, through their situation, had a, had a son. But it was a very costly time for, for David. Because not only had he had a son through Bathsheba, but through it all, we know what happened to Bathsheba's husband because of David's selfishness and all. And when all of this was revealed by the prophet Nathan, there was one thing that was said to David, that there would be a son, but that son would die. The son would die. There was no doubt about it. This was, this was nothing of, of, uh, that, that could be bargained for. Yet David went and prayed. And he prayed, and I'm sure he prayed for mercy, and I'm sure he probably prayed for the Lord. to be merciful to this son. We're told in 2 Samuel 12, verses 19 and 20, but when David saw that his servants 
whisper, David perceived that the child was dead. And therefore David said unto his servants, is the child dead? And we know when you read before this that the servants themselves were really concerned as to what David would do if he found out that the child was dead. What were they going to do and how were they going to handle all of this? But nonetheless, they said to him, he is dead. And then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord. He went and cleaned up, refreshed himself, changed himself. and came into the house of the Lord. And what did he do? He worshiped. He didn't complain. He didn't blame God, for he had already confessed that he was at fault. He worshiped God. Some don't do that. When an unexpected death, this was expected, but when an unexpected death comes, sometimes people come to God, to God just to, to blame him and to complain to him. But David didn't do that. He worshiped God. He gave his full reverence and respect to God and toward God. And then he came to his own house. And when he required, they said bread before him and he did eat. He, he, he finally ate. He, he went on. That's what I meant by proceeding peacefully from the house after those petitions were made. We can do the same thing. We can lay out our petitions before God. But when the answer comes, we must receive those answers with the peace of knowing that God is in control and that God knows what's best for all of us. And then in my father's house, we have a house to keep pure. Now this brings the house a little bit closer to home. Because it's a matter of keeping the house where God resides in us pure. Paul tells us that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So keep that in mind when we consider Hezekiah's spring cleaning. I, I mentioned spring cleaning here because I wish I had a whole spring to do my spring cleaning. Who, who likes spring cleaning? Who loves spring cleaning? Nobody? Okay, a couple of you do. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. We all should do a little bit, right? I mean, there's things that we need to take care of, but we, we just sometimes don't have enough time to, to do our spring cleaning. So I, I need a whole spring for a spring cleaning. I've never gotten it, so I don't know why I'm telling you that. Uh, just pray for me, I guess. Uh, but Hezekiah was the son of a man named Ahaz. He was a king also, and, and he was the king before Hezekiah, and, and he was a terrible king. He wasn't a godly king. He was an evil king. And he, I mean, he let, the, he let the house of God, the temple of God, just go to shambles. 
The doors were broken and things inside of the, of the temple were, were, were no longer given for, for the worship of God. Now there were things like idols and all kinds of other things in the house of the Lord. Just a, 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 just a terrible, terrible shambles. So in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 3 it says that he, Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He started doing some spring cleaning. In verse 5, we're told, and he said unto them, Hear me, you Levites, sanctify now yourselves. Set yourselves apart and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Let's clean this place up. Let's get it back to be used for the worship of our God. And in verse 16, it says, The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now, folks, this is where we have to consider that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are the place where God meets with us as part of the understanding of what the house of the Lord is. And we need to keep it pure. We need to keep it pure. And when we do, it becomes a house in which we are to be planted in the house of the Lord. We are to be planted. Psalm 92, verses 13 through 15 says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. If we're planted in the Lord, we are to bring forth much fruit. Notice verse 14. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. It is a place where we can plant ourselves. And again, when we plant ourselves, where are we going to go? If you've planted fruit trees in your backyard, you don't get up one day and you look out and say the fruit trees just went on vacation. Where'd they go? And then you look down the street and there goes the, you know... We'll be right back. Doesn't happen. You're planted. You're planted to do what? Bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. We're to be planted in the house of the Lord. It is also a house to proclaim blessings to our God. Psalm 134. We're going to read the whole psalm. There's only three verses. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. It is a place that we can come and bless our God. Bless the Lord with praise. Bless the Lord with worship. Bless the Lord with the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Bless him. That doesn't mean you have to go someplace. You do that where you are. Because he said, I will be with you always. I will be with you. 
Praise the Lord and praise him in the house of the Lord. It is a house to praise our God with gratitude. Hezekiah's gratitude for restored health is seen in Isaiah 38. Hezekiah kind of fell off the the good king map there for a while in his life. Got very sick. Was near death. God restored him and gave him a number of years. We find in Isaiah 38 verses 18 through 20 part of this prayer to God. He said, For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. There it is again. All the days of our life. Why do we shorten? our understanding of how long we are going to be in the house of the Lord. Not so much a physical place, but where our God is. And lastly, before we come to the table of communion this morning, coming to hear the words of Jesus himself, who now tells us those words in our title. It is a house. Our Father's house is a house promised to his children. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. How safe can you be if you are not in the arms of your Savior, Redeemer, Shepherd, Lord, God, and King? How safe can you be in this world if you don't know Jesus Christ? I don't care how many safe places the world can build or that the world can set aside for people. There's no safe place in this world except in Jesus Christ. No safe place whatsoever. The safe places of the world are at best temporary. That's it. Our safe place is eternal. It lasts forever. And that's why David says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house 
of the Lord all the days of my life. Eternal. And this is again the reason why it is so essential for us to know and to to check our hearts, to know that we have been redeemed, to know that we have the salvation of the Lord in our lives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. And he began to prepare that place by going to the cross first and then going to sit at his father's right hand after he rose from the dead. And now we wait for this next part. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The safe place, it's Jesus. Amen? I will receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Aren't you thankful that he's with you and you're with him? Remember what he said in John 15. I know we haven't gotten there yet in our study of John, but you guys have read ahead, I'm sure. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. That is our safe place. As we come to the table of communion this morning, I want us to consider that safe place. Are you there? Today would be a good day to say yes to Jesus if you haven't said so. To say, Lord, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart that he has risen from the dead so that I might be saved. And in this particular case, you can, you can apply that salvation to safety and safety to your salvation. You are safe in Christ. Where else do you want to be? Our Father's house is safe because of Jesus.